So we're going to pick up the story in verse 57, opens up like this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then would this tell be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So nine months have passed, and they bring this baby boy, John. And it's a big celebration. It's a day of the circumcision and the naming of this little boy. And God had told him in the Old Testament, he said, on the eighth day, every male boy, every male baby needs to be circumcised. On the eighth day, that's what's going to separate my people. That's what's going to make them. That's a sign that's going to make them holy. And as I was studying this, I wondered, why, why the eighth day? And interestingly enough, I, I did some research, it's, and there's a, there's a protein in the blood. Okay, there's a protein in the blood, and it's called fibronogen. Fibronogen. You can look it up. I'm not making this up. Fibronogen. What this protein does, it helps clot in the blood. So if you're bleeding out and you don't have this protein, you'll bleed completely. But if you have this protein, it helps clot so you'll stop the bleeding. And I was doing this research. Studies have proven, studies have shown that this protein in the blood, its highest levels in male babies is on the eighth day. Wow. How did God know to choose the eighth day so that the child can be cured quicker during his circumcision? How do you know that? Wow, isn't that weird? God? And what even makes it weirder is that they didn't have WebMD before, not back in that time. There was no Dr. Oz. Isn't that amazing? God knows what he's doing. So they come together and they're, they're doing this thing and their celebration and they, they tell Elizabeth, okay, so his name's going to be Zachariah, right? Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. We're not going to make him name him Zachariah. So they all say, what are you talking about, woman? Let's turn to the dad. Hey, hey, make signs to the dad. What's his name going to be? So Zechariah gets his tablet, and he writes, his name is John. It's better interpreted this way. John is his name, exclamation point. And immediately, the verses tell us that he's able to speak. See, what God had promised through Gabriel, when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, said, this is things that are going to happen, are starting to happen. And we're seeing it here. All the promises that, that the angel Gabriel made to Zechariah are actually coming true. So here's my first point to you guys. Point number one is this. God always, God always fulfills his promises. God always fulfills his promises. I think we're going to get up on the screen here. That's our point number one. God always fulfills his promises. And we see that. We see that God is fulfilling his promises right now. Nine months later, we're seeing that everything that the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah was going to happen is happening. What God says is going to happen will happen. 
Let's take a look at what we just read right now. In verse 57, we just read this. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, just as God said he would. Back in verse 13 of the same chapter, Gabriel says this to Zechariah. Your prayers have been answered, and you will, will bear a son. Nine months later, she bore a son. Next slide. It says this. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. Just like Gabriel said, there's going to be rejoicing at his birth. Look what it says in verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. It's happening now. The fulfillment of these promises are coming true. Next verse. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they asked Elizabeth, we just read this, what his name is going to be, Zechariah. She says, no, he should be called John. And they all sold to her, none of your relatives are called John. And they handed the tablet to Zechariah. And Zechariah wrote this. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all, all wondered. What did Gabriel say in verse 13? Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will call him John. And then he goes on and he says, and immediately he, his mouth was open and his tongue loose and he spoke, blessing God. Gabriel told Zechariah, you will not speak until these things come true. Back in verse 20 he says this, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. God had told these things to Zechariah. And nine months later, these things were taking place. Verse 65 says this, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then would this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Gabriel had told Zechariah what this son will be. He will be named John. He will be full of the Holy Spirit. And better yet, this baby boy that you're going to have, Zechariah, that was coming true in these passages, in these verses, this baby boy of yours, John, will prepare the way of the Messiah. What will this child be? Look, look who John became to be. Look what Jesus says about John in Matthew eleven eleven. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying there has no one greater than John the Baptist. What would this child do? 33 years later, this John the Baptist will stand before the Israelite people and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And behold, the Savior comes into the scene and his ministry begins. What God says he will do, it will be. What God promises will be fulfilled. I know of you, some of you are, are sitting here today, listening, hearing, and probably you've read it uh, in your Bibles, but you don't feel it. You're saying, yeah, yeah, you're right, but where is he? Like I mentioned earlier, maybe some of you today are saying, you know what? God's promise is for a marriage to be 
to be holy, to be united. But where's, where's that promise in my marriage? Like I mentioned, maybe you're sitting here and saying, yeah, I've been doing everything your way, God. I've been doing marriage counseling. I've been going through a program we have here at Grace called Reengage. I've been doing Reengage. I've been, I've been submitting to my husband. I've been loving my wife unconditionally. And yet, look at us, God. Where are you? If your promises are true, why haven't you shown up? Maybe some of you here today are sitting here and saying, you know what? I've been trying to do my finances correctly. I've been giving. Father, I think I'm listening to you. I've been praying. Why haven't you answered my prayers? Why are you putting in this in me? Why am I going through these circumstances? Why can I make ends meet? Are you really there, God? Maybe some of you here today are sitting with an illness and saying, why, God? Or a loved one who's terminally ill and saying, why? Why me? What is happening? This is not what you want. Why am I going through what I'm going through? And see, I know, I know in my own life, God does these things so we can become better people. God does these things so that we go through these struggles, so that we're being refined, so we're being sanctified. So when we end up on the other side of the storm in life, we come out better people. And we come out and say, now I get it. Now I understand God. Now I know what I had to go through, what I got through, so I could glorify you. Because without you, God, I wouldn't be able to go through these things. But now I see, now I can look back and see, I get it. It was tough during the season, but now I get it. And you were there, even though it seemed you weren't. And God doesn't answer the prayers, like I mentioned, the way we want to, our prayers to be answered. Not all the time. But see, my hope, and your hope should be this, that God does fulfill this promise. The promise of eternity. That that day will come. That day will come where everything, everything will be holy. That day will come where there will be no more sins. There will be no more death. There will be no more ugliness. But until that day comes, God is asking you, trust me. I am with you. Even though you've been praying and asking. I'm doing it for your good and for my glory. I love to hear stories. Stories that, of people that gone through these struggles and after many years, many months, Maybe sometimes it felt like 400 years after gone through these struggles, they look back and say, now I see why God did what he did. Now I see the purpose. Now I see the sovereignty in him. I love hearing stories of, of married couples who've gone through the sin, who's gone through the struggle, infidelity, uh, fallen out of love, not having the relationship they wanted. And they go through re-engage or they go through marriage counseling and it's tough and, it's, it's tough and they struggle through this, this season in their lives. But they get through it. They, 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 they go through what God has told them to go through. And they get, go through it and they look back and say, you know what? If, I wouldn't, if God wouldn't have put me through these things in my marriage, I would not have been the husband I am today. I would not be, would have been the wife I was today. Because if God didn't intervene, as ugly as it seemed, if God didn't intervene, I'd be the same person. We'd be the same couple. 
But now I know, I say this, now I know not to trust in my spouse. Now I know to trust in God. And he is the center of our lives. Now I get it. I see his purpose. The other day I sat with this gentleman. And we went to have lunch. And he told me, I, I love one of the sermons that I heard about, about money. And for years he told me, God, money was my God, he said. I chase after money. I want it more, and I work more, and I have a good job, he told me. I have a great job. I'm making a lot of money, but I want more. So I'm spending more time at work trying to make more money, and, and it's catching up to me, man. My finances are hurting, and the more I get, the bigger things I want, and I'm just not meeting. But you know what I'm going to do, he told me? He said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to work at a less stressful job, and I'm hoping I'm hoping that by me not working as hard, I could spend more time at home with my wife, with my children. He says, because now I see after these struggles, now I see that that's important. That lasts for eternity. This material things, that's just temporal. But he tells me this, if I wouldn't have gone what I've gone through so far, if God hadn't shown up through a discipline, I would have been the same person for I don't know how long. See, God is working in the background. God is doing something in our lives. And you'll be surprised when he shows up, when you realize, now I get it. I speak to gentlemen who have diseases or sickness or get a stroke. And after they recover, they, they tell me, he says, oh, I get it now. Maybe God is giving me a sign to slow down. Maybe God is giving me a sign to turn to him. I hear it all the time. If I wouldn't have gotten this illness, if, if this wouldn't have happened to me, God would have been in the background. But now, but now because I've recovered, because God has shown me, hey, it, if it needs this, if this needs to be taken place for you to realize that I am God, so be it. Because if this wouldn't have happened, I would have still been out there. God always fulfills his promises. We've got to see that, realize that we have to believe it. So we've seen uh, that God, the fulfillment of God's promises. Let's look at some of those promises that we can see in these verses. And here's my first promise that, or God's promise that's seen in these verses. First of all, God promises to redeem his people. God promises to redeem his people. So after Zechariah says, John is his name, as prophecy had told, foretold, boom, he was able to speak. And immediately, Zechariah starts to praise God. And he starts to prophesy. And this is what he says. He says this in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord of God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So right away, he turns to God and says, thank you. And he says this. I love this. He says, he has visited and redeemed his people. Past tense. It's a done deal. Zechariah had no idea what was to come 33 years later. He had no idea that 33 years later, later, this Messiah would hang on the cross and say, Father, it is finished. As he hung there and his blood was shed, 
He knew that that point, the redemption was done, complete. And he said, it's done, deal. That the forgiveness of our sins was complete there. All our past, all our present, all our future sin was done. The redemption of us to the Father was complete. Even since the beginning of time and Zechariah was seeing, he has visited us and he has redeemed us. Done. Finished. He was prophesying this. And I love how he, how he mentions the Messiah. He says, the house of, I'm sorry, raised up a horn of salvation. A horn of salvation, Zacharias is, says. Now this word horn means this. It means strength. It means power. And he says, this Messiah to come, he is the horn, the strength, the cornerstone of our salvation. Redemption will come through him. Now I'm not a cowboy. I think I've ridden a horse three or four times in my life. But on the saddle, there's this horn, I think they call it, right in the front where, where cowboys hang on. When the, where the horse starts bucking, when it's getting a little rough, they hang on to that horn as much as they can. they got to secure themselves so they won't be bucked off. In cycling, I do cycle, on the, on the handlebars, there's some things that come up. They're called the horns. Grab onto the horn. As you're climbing up a hill, you better grab onto the horn and start climbing. And Zechariah is saying, Zachariah is saying, this Messiah is the horn, the strength of our salvation. When you're feeling this tribulation in life, when you're going through sin, when you're going through struggles, hang on to that horn. When you're struggling uphill because of any battles that are coming on, grab on to that horn, the horn of salvation. He has done what needed to be done, done deal. This temporary life of, of ours is just that, temporary. It is finished. And we need to turn to that core, the horn of salvation. That's what Zechariah is saying. And then he goes on and he says, this is the other promise. Here's the other promise that Zechariah mentions. mentions. He says, it will be fulfilling of the uh, covenants. My next slide. Fulfilling of the covenants. Look what it says in verse 70. He says this. He says, and he spoke. By the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the land of the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God's other promise that he mentions here in these verses is a promise of the fulfillment of his covenants. In a covenant, we see that it's just a promise that God makes with his people. There's several covenants, but he mentions two covenants uh, specifically in these verses. He mentions the Davidic covenant, and the Davidic covenant uh, was, was established in 2 Samuel, where, where the prophet Nathan comes to David, this great, this great king David, and he says, David... From your bloodline, from your seed, there will be a greater king than you. There will eventually come a king that will sit on the throne forever. And Zechariah is saying, this is the time. It's coming. This covenant is being fulfilled. And then Zechariah mentions another covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, which he, met, which he tells Abraham. God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, from your seed, there will be a lot of nations. Your offspring will be a blessing to all. And Zechariah is saying, the Messiah, the time is here 
where these covenants are going to be fulfilled. But he mentions another covenant. And specifically, we're going to look at verse 74. Zechariah says this in his Benedictus. He says, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Holy and righteous before him all our days. Zechariah prophesied that 33 years later in that upper room, this Messiah would be sitting and saying, this is the new covenant. He'd be saying that two days later, I'm going to be hung on a cross, and then I'll rise again, and your sins will be forgiven. And those who trust in me, those who believe what I have done and what I will do for you, they will have eternal life, the new covenant. The covenant that was established in Jesus' blood. Those of us that put our trust in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, those who say, Father, we know that you sent your son to forgive our sins, and we truly believe in that. We've established a new covenant with God, and that God looks down on us and sees us being blessed and righteous all the rest of our days. And Zechariah was praising God and thanking God that that will soon be fulfilled finally verse 76 Zechariah turns to to his son briefly and he says this he says to his, his son he says and you child will be called the prophet of the most high he says for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God the last promise we see here in this verses is salvation for his people. So Zechariah prophesizes that God came to redeem his people, that he came to fulfill his covenants, and salvation, to offer salvation to his people. And I love the way Zechariah says as he says, the tender mercy of our God. That word tender there means, literally means your, your inner bowels, your guts. And he's saying it is God's inner being. It's in his guts to show mercy. And it's because of his tender mercy that he's come to do these things. He's come to fulfill what he promised. We serve an awesome, merciful God. Finally, we're going to see who fulfills these promises. And here's my last point for you guys. It's Jesus Christ, our Savior. I hope you all knew that. Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the one who fulfilled these promises. He is the one who came to redeem us and to save us. Look how Zechariah describes this Messiah, Jesus Christ. He says this, final verses, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And it says the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah calls Jesus, our Messiah, sunrise from the Most High. He is a sunrise. When everything seems dark in your life, 
He will be the sun that shines through the darkness. He came to be the light of the world, it tells us. Jesus is the light of the world, that the sins, the darkness of our lives, he has cleansed us completely. And then he says this, to guide our feet into peace. Jesus Christ is a prince of peace. He offers peace to all of those who come to him. I'm reminded of, of the story in Exodus, Exodus 14, one of my favorite stories. And I'll kind of remind you what the story talks about. So you have the Israelite, they're enslaved in Egypt and Pharaoh doesn't let him go. And Moses is telling, hey, let my people go. And he puts all these plagues on him and, and Pharaoh says, no. And then finally, God said, it is done. And his people are released, they're in the wilderness. And in, in chapter 14 of Exodus, we come to this part of the story. We've got the Red Sea in front of the Israelite people. And Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm going to go after the Israelites. So we have the Red Sea in front of the Israelites. And back we have Pharaoh, the armies coming to get the Israelites. And the Israelites are panicking. They're saying, Pharaoh is going to kill us. The Red Sea is going to kill us. And they go to Moses and say, Moses, what are we doing? Why have you led us out here into the wilderness? They're freaking out. We're going to die for sure. And then Moses responds like this. He says, quiet. He says, be still and watch. Watch what your mighty God can do. And he lifts up his staff and the Red Sea parts and the Israelites go through the sea. And then Pharaoh goes and you know the story. For 400 years, the Israelites have been asking, God, where are you? For 80 years, Elizabeth and Zachariah have been praying, God, where are you? And God has been saying, quiet, look what I can do. And then he sends us Jesus, our Savior. Now, some of you probably here feeling like that old couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and saying, God, where are you? I've been asking, and you haven't shown up. Or you feel like that Israelite nation that seems that God has never been in your life or has been quiet for, it seems like, 400 years in your life. And God is saying, quiet, be still, and look what I'm about to do. And if you feel God hasn't answered your prayers, I'm here to tell you he has. He saved you and me. See, this Advent season, this Advent season begins with the name of Zechariah. See, that name means God remembers. God hasn't forgotten where you're at. God knows what you're going through. God remembers. This Advent season begins with the name Elizabeth. Elizabeth means... God is my oath. He is my strength. So as you go through the seasons in life where you're feeling struggle, where you're feeling that God is not with you, just turn to him and say, you are my oath. I am turning to you to get me through this season of life. This Advent, let's be reminded that it begins with the name John. John means God is merciful and gracious. See, God is merciful and he's gracious. He's given us the best gift anyone could ever ask for. He's answered our prayers 
more than we can ever imagine. He's given us Jesus. Let's remember this Advent season that it's all about Jesus, which name means Savior. Let's look at Christmas a little different this time. Let's not look at where we are, what we don't have, but let's look at Christmas and be thankful what we do have and what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us in our lives. Jesus, God, always fulfills his promises. Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful that you are a God that, that is involved in our lives. That you are a God that sent his son. That you became man through Jesus Christ and came to redeem us, Father. To give us eternal life. Father, again, I pray that if anybody's going through some season in life right now that, that feels that you're not there with them. That they've been praying out to you, God. They've been asking, where are you? Let us be reminded that you are there. That we've cried and you've answered, Father. And that you came to our rescue. In your son, Jesus Christ. Father, let us be reminded that this season is a season of joy and gratitude. Because we celebrate the birth of the Messiah. We love you, Father, and we praise you. Amen.